over the last several weeks, we have seen that our Lord Jesus was and is a miracle worker. But according to the Bible, He never did a miracle just for the sake of doing a miracle or what we might call showing off. His purpose in doing the miracles that He did was to create faith in those who had none or to bolster faith in those who did. We know that faith was the key component of Jesus' miracle working because some of those miracles apparently had no other purpose. The miracle recorded in the text of today's message may serve as an example of that. We're in Matthew chapter 14 again this week, where we were last week. We'll pick up right where we left off at the end of the feeding of the 5,000. And we could call this next story, this next section of Scripture, a ghost story in light of what Jesus' disciples thought they saw. But in the end, what they did see caused them to worship Jesus and to profess their faith in Him as the Son of God. Matthew 14, we're going to read verses 22 through 33. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as I read this passage for us. <clears throat> the, 50, the Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowd. After He had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by Himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Well, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately. Jesus reached out His hand and caught him. You of little faith, He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Thank you. You may take your seats. Now this episode begins with Jesus sending the disciples ahead of Him on across the Sea of Galilee so that He could stay behind and spend some time in solitude, time alone with the Father, time alone with God. Don't miss the fact that even our Lord Jesus had to step away from ministry to refresh Himself in the presence of God to restore himself, to renew his spirit in the presence of the Father. Two times in verse 23 we read that Jesus was alone. After time alone with God, 
Jesus walked on water. You think the two might be connected. Have you ever come away from a time alone with God feeling like you could walk on water? (laughs) Maybe not literally, but figuratively. I always come away from time alone with God at least feeling lighter, having given Him my burdens and my cares. The Bible says, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. If Jesus needed time alone with God, then certainly so do we. And I can assure you that it will make you feel lighter as well. Well, verse 24 says the disciples out there on the lake were having a tough time of it. They weren't making any headway. The wind was against them, it said. And Jesus wanted to join them, but apparently being alone, there were no boats available to him. So he decided he would get to them by walking right out there on the water. And so he did. That's an amazing thing. Have you ever seen anyone walk on water, deep water, that is? It was incredible that Jesus could do such a thing. Now, the disciples didn't immediately think so. When they saw Jesus, they didn't recognize him. Here they were in the middle of the night, dark, fighting to try to get some headway with this boat and they look up and someone is walking toward them on the Sea of Galilee and they were afraid the Bible says they they were shaken down to their socks apparently they thought it was a ghost and not the Holy Ghost by the way in fact a different word the word that's translated ghost in the King James Holy Ghost is the word for spirit The word here is the word phantasm, a phantom, an apparition, if you will, an honest-to-goodness ghost, they thought. And so they cried out in fear. Now, these were young men, but they were grown men. And here they were crying out in fear, probably calling for their mommies. That's probably what I would do if I were out there and thought I saw a ghost. They were trembling In fact, we might have done the same because when you think about it, they were tired, exhausted from having worked through the night trying to make some headway on the lake. The wind was blowing, we know. Maybe it was making a moaning sound as it blew through the boat rigging. And uh, it was the fourth watch of the night, which means it was late into the night, between 3 and 6 a.m. Perfect time for a ghost story. Maybe one of them told a ghost story to pass the time while they were trying to get across the lake. So they were primed. They were expecting to be not seeing Jesus. They expected that they might finally get across the lake, but they weren't. And when they see something coming across the lake, they automatically thought their minds went to, that's a ghost. It's a phantom. What they didn't expect was to see Jesus. There are certain places we do expect to see Jesus. We expect to see him in church, for example, in the faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ as they reflect the glory of their Lord. We expect to see Jesus 
in the scriptures, reading about his mighty acts, his teachings, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We expect to see Jesus in the lives of uncommon saints and biblical heroes. But have you ever run into Jesus somewhere you never expected to? Somewhere you would never think to meet him? In fact, think of the very last place you would ever expect to find Jesus. Do you suppose he's there? Well, I can tell you with certainty that he is there, where the 90 and 9 might never go. But Jesus is there looking for the one, the one that has wandered, the one that is lost, the one that needs to be saved. Because Jesus told us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, I'll let you in on a little secret. Sometimes Jesus is easier to see out there on the front lines than he is back here in the secure confines of the sheepfold. They didn't expect to see Jesus on the sea out there walking. At the end of verse 26, they're quaking in their boots, so to speak. But verse 27 tells us that immediately... Jesus acted to calm their fears. Immediately, he said, don't be afraid. You know, that expression, don't be afraid, can be found in the Bible over 200 times from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus didn't want them to be afraid of him. He says, in essence, you know me. If you know me, you know that you have no cause to fear. And the same thing is true for us. If we know Jesus, the Lord of lords, the master of everything, if we have a personal relationship with him that is vibrant and growing, we have no cause for fear of anything in this life or the next. Whether we live or whether we die, we don't need to be afraid. We know him the one who conquered death for us. These disciples didn't know that yet, but they knew Jesus. And when he reminded them, when he called their attention to the fact that it was him who was standing there, out there on the water, well, then things changed a bit. One of them speaks. Guess who? Yes, it was Peter, the one who always seems to speak. Someone said one time, The only reason Peter opens his mouth is to change feet. So it's no surprise to us that Peter is the one who speaks. He he often does without fully thinking through the ramifications of what it is that he says. But uh, he asks Jesus, uh, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come out there on the water with you. Now, don't think Peter was expressing any doubt here. The Syntax of the Greek is one of affirmation. It it would better be translated, since it's you, Lord, can I come out there and join you? Peter wasn't doubting Jesus. After all, if, if you thought it might really be a ghost out there, would you want to climb out of the boat into the water to test him? Would you say, well, okay, Mr. Ghost, I'm going to give you a little truth test here. 
I'm going to get out onto the water, and if, if it's really you, Jesus, well, then I'll walk to you. But if you're a ghost, I'm going to sink, and you'll eat me or whatever it is you do, but I'll know that you're not really Jesus. Well, of course not. That would be silly, wouldn't it? In fact, if Peter had thought that was really a ghost out there, the only reason he would have gotten into the water would have been to get a head start on the other guys swimming to shore. Now, Peter knew who it was. He recognized Jesus. So why did he ask to come out on the water? Maybe it looked like fun. Or more probably, I think Peter just wanted to get to Jesus, to be with Jesus. He'd had a hard night, and he was happy to see Jesus, and he wanted to be with Jesus. This isn't the first time we see something like this, you know. At the end of John's gospel, after the resurrection, the disciples, a group of them, were out there on the Sea of Galilee fishing, and someone on the shore told them to cast the net in a different way, and they caught this huge batch of fish, and, and they looked a little closer at the fellow on the shore, and John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter immediately jumps in the water and swims the hundred yards or so to shore because he wanted to be there with Jesus. Peter wanted to be with Jesus in this instance. Have you ever wanted to get to Jesus that bad? Have you ever longed for a time alone with Jesus, you and the scripture together praying in order to refresh and restore yourself? Have you ever longed for that in your life, the way Peter appears to here? Well, in any case, Jesus answered Peter's question with an invitation to come on in. Water's fine, come on out. You know, I really think Jesus was happy that Peter wanted to imitate him. Peter wanted to be like his Lord Peter wanted to do what Jesus was doing. And I think it pleased Jesus that Peter wanted to do that. And so we have to give Peter credit. Not only did he want to get to Jesus, not only did he want to do what Jesus did, he had the courage to get out of the boat in order to do it. The others were playing it safe back in the boat. They didn't want to get out, but Peter did. And because he did, because he had the courage to take the risk, Peter got to be the only other person we know of from the Scriptures who got to walk on the water with Jesus. The risk paid off in that case. Peter attempted to do something amazing and he got to walk on water. You know, there's a saying, I think it's been attributed to William Carey, the father of the modern missions movement. It goes something like, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Peter did that. And he got to walk on the water with Jesus as a result. Now, verse 30 tells us that Peter walked toward Jesus. And apparently he got close enough to touch him, if you will. But then, Peter got distracted. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look around. And he saw what was going on around him. 
And that's when things began to go south. Distractions can do that to us. If they take our vision away from the Lord, we get into trouble. If I took a, a two-by-four from the lumber yard and put it on the floor here and, and, and tried to walk across it without stepping off of it, I could probably do it. But if you take that two-by-four and put it ten stories up between two buildings, then it's going to be a different story. I'm not sure I'd have courage to even step out on there. Because I wouldn't just be thinking about whether or not I could walk on a two-by-four without falling off. I'd be thinking about how far up I was and what would happen if I did fall off. I'd be distracted by all of the other things going on that, such that my success would be greatly diminished. Well, 30 years ago, back in 1993, when the Dallas Cowboys were good football players... Their coach, Jimmy Johnson, used that illustration to make a point for them as they were preparing to play in the Super Bowl. He wanted them to stay focused on what they were there for. He said, don't be distracted. Don't look around. Don't, don't look at the media. Don't, don't note, note the hype. Don't look at the crowds. Don't think about all of the hullabaloo. He said, focus on every play, one play at a time, just as if it were a good practice session. And it was successful. The Cowboys stayed focused. They won the game 52-17 to 17 over the Buffalo Bills. Peter was not as able to stay focused as the Cowboys were in that Super Bowl. He got distracted. He looked around. The Bible says he saw the wind. Now, we can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind, and that's what the Bible means here. It's not meant to be taken in a literal sense as though... Jesus turned the wind purple or something so Peter could see it. No. He saw the boat rocking. He saw the waves roiling. He felt the spray of the salt on his face as the wind blew it there and stung him. And when all of that happened, he took his gaze away from Jesus and he got in trouble. That happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We get in trouble. Peter began to be afraid because he wasn't any longer focused on Jesus. Fear overcame him. And fear sinks a lot of saints, by the way. I'm convinced that the reason most Christians never share the gospel with a lost person is out of fear. They're afraid that they're going to be rejected or that that person is going to think they're some kind of fanatic or who knows what? We're afraid, so we just don't do it. It's safer and easier to stay in the boat. But if you'll just get out of the boat, Jesus won't let you sink. Notice what happened to Peter. Peter made the mistake of taking his eyes off of Jesus. He looked around. He got himself into trouble, just as we always do when we take our eyes off of Jesus, whether individual believers or congregations we lose our focus on Jesus if we get distracted we'll be in trouble just as he was but again we have to give Peter credit when he saw what was going on when he recognized that he was sinking when he recognized he was in danger he cried out to Jesus Lord save me he said now there are 
multitudes of people who are too proud to admit that they're in trouble and that they need a savior, that they're sinking, that they're perishing. But they're too proud to admit it, so they continue to sink instead under the weight of their sin, only to spend an eternity in the fire that Jesus says was prepared for the devil and his angels. But the Bible also says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what Peter did. Lord, he said, save me. And immediately, the Bible says in verse 31, there's that word again, immediately. Jesus reached out and grabbed Peter and pulled him back up out of the surf. He saved him. But then there is a mild rebuke. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's faith that Jesus is concerned about. It's trust in him that he wants. He will hold us up. He will give us the ability to walk on the water itself if our faith and our trust is in Him, if we attempt great things for Him. Jesus saved Peter. Notice He didn't rebuke Peter's self-confident presumption. Lord, let me come out there on the water with you. He didn't rebuke that at all. What He rebuked was Peter's small faith. Not no faith. There was some faith. But it was little faith, apparently. And what's even worse, imagine how Peter felt, but imagine how those disciples back in the boat must have felt when Jesus called Peter one of little faith. They hadn't even had the courage to get out of the boat. They weren't even as filled with faith as Peter was. It must have surely been an indirect rebuke to them as well because it was faith that Jesus wanted from his disciples then and it's faith that Jesus wants from his disciples now. He wants us to believe that he is who he claims to be. He wants us to believe what the eyewitnesses have said he did. He wants us to trust in him with everything that we are and if we do... He will not let us sink. It's not to say we might not get wet. It's not to say we might not think we are drowning. But I promise you, Jesus will not let you perish. He will reach out and rescue you and save you just as he did with Peter in this story. The Bible tells us when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, the wind died down. It grew weary, literally. And the disciples correctly interpreted that as further evidence of Jesus' divine status. In verse 33, it says, They worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. And this is the first time in Matthew's gospel that that confession of faith is found on the lips of the disciples. The first time, 14 chapters in, before one of them says, you are the Son of God, after all. They'd seen Him do all of these things. They'd just seen Him feed 5,000 people with biscuits and sardines, basically. And it is now that they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Finally, they seem to be catching on. Finally, they're starting to get it. Finally, 
They seem to recognize Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. Finally, there is faith starting to grow. What about you? You've read all of the things that Jesus did. You know about the feeding of the 5,000. You know about a later feeding of 4,000 more. You know about Jesus walking on the water, about healing, about raising Lazarus from the dead. You know all of these things. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll have to admit that Jesus has done some pretty amazing things in your life too over the years. If you're willing to give him credit that he deserves. So what's the status of your faith? Would Jesus still say to you, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Or is your faith strong? Are you willing to get out of the boat, take a risk or two in order to experience the thrill of walking with Jesus? Because he will not let you sink. Maybe instead you're someone who's here this morning who hasn't ever even recognized that you need Jesus to save you. You've had your troubles, you've had your challenges in life, you've struggled from time to time, but never really stopped long enough to realize that you need a Savior. If you will just reach out your hand, if you will call on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me, Jesus will reach out his hand and save you, just as he did Peter. Jesus wants us to trust him, to believe in him, to be amazed at him, to call on him. And if you will, you will be saved. Not just today, but tomorrow, and the day after, and the year after, and the decade after, and the lifetime after, and the lifetime after that, and the eternity that comes after all of that. Trust Him. He will not let you sink. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at this story that, that is preserved in Scripture for us about Jesus acting to strengthen the faith of the disciples that night, walking on the water, on the sea, and Peter having the courage to at least give it a try to imitate his Lord. I pray, God, that we might have the same courage. Lord, we, we know that you are tolerant of the, the naive you are tolerant of those who attempt great things for you because they know no better. Peter was one. I pray, God, that we might, in our knowledge and all that you've taught us, have the same kind of courage and attempt great things for you, not out of naivete, but rather out of the assurance of the testimony of your word and your followers through two millennia. God, give us the courage to get out of the boat and walk with Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. We're going to sing a song and give you 